0: Hello and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host Jenny Gladman, and for this fourth season, I'll be interviewing leaders, forward thinkers, and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. And more specifically, within hydrogen. We'll be hearing from individuals with very different focuses within hydrogen, but with one clear goal of how we can fuel a cleaner, greener future. In addition, they'll be offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day. So, what a way to kick off season four of Conversations in Clean Tech. Today's guest is a rising star in the world of hydrogen. She's passionate, she's determined, she is on a mission to make the world a better place, and I think has been since she was pretty young. To be honest, I am bursting with questions for her, so let's get cracking. It is with great excitement I welcome Vaitya Cowan, the co founder of Anapta, to Conversations in Clean Tech. Welcome hi jenny it's a pleasure to be here too amazing so um i think context for everyone this conversation has been a very long time coming uh we planned it in 2021 and then fate had other ideas um and the anapta team went on to win an incredible award which um had her slightly busy i think is safe to say and i went and had a baby and just coming back from that so we've um We've both had an interesting, and very exciting and, and productive year, um, but we will go into that later on. But for now, I'm going to hand over to Vaitea, if you want to give a bit of an introduction, who you are, what your background is, and who Anapta are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having us, Jenny. And yes, absolutely. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to us. Um, I'm so glad we are making this happen today. So. Um, yeah, Enapter. This is a green rocket ship that uh, we've been uh, launching for the last, um, yeah, close to five years now. And we are on a mission to make green hydrogen affordable and accessible for everyone. Because green hydrogen is this alternative fuel that can replace fossil fuels and significantly reduce our CO2 emissions. So, we are a team now of yeah 250 colleagues working from Berlin, from Pisa. We're building a mass production site in northwest of Germany. And we have our roots in Thailand and still some offices there. So our, our team is young and, and highly motivated in making a big difference because we really want to build this world where fossil fuels are no longer used and green hydrogen is that fuel that can power our industries as well as our mobility sector, heating and cooling, and then of course our power sector too. So big ambition and we are on our way.
0: Amazing and I think it's one of these things a lot of people are starting to hear about but hopefully throughout the series of this podcast we can dig a bit deeper as to how you can make that work. Uh, before we do that, I you touched on it there, Thailand, but I would love to dig deeper. It's a place very close to both of our hearts, given that we've both lived there um, in quite different contexts. But tell me about the origins and how Thailand was kind of the the birthplace of Anapter, or at least the inspiration for um, and what you were doing there.
1: It is. Um, So our story begins in the mountains of Chiang Mai. So this is Northern Thailand, beautiful place, beautiful nature, people, food, and culture. And actually the story begins with my two co-founders, Sebastian and Yan. And Sebastian had this vision of living self-sufficiently and having a home that is energy independent. As guests in Thailand, he wanted to build a home that only used renewable energy sources, and for sure, solar energy was a no-brainer. But then the question came about, okay, well, hmm, energy storage, how do I keep my lights on throughout rainy season and during the evening? What are some options for long-term seasonal storage? And batteries, of course, came up, and the home uses batteries, but batteries for long-term storage may not be the ideal solution. And using diesel generators or any fossil fuel type were completely out of the question. That was eliminated from the get-go. So there was this, um, this burning desire to have zero CO2 emission, no carbon footprint in the Pi Suè house, which is the name of this home in Chiang Mai. And Sebastian was working back then in the software field and attending one of those exhibitions, he came across this small Italian booth and saw that they were showing these prototypes of these systems that were kind of like these big microwave ovens. And it was about providing long-term energy storage with solar energy and this The system was creating green hydrogen on site for mobile operators' remote base stations. And he had this light bulb moment. Well, if the mobile operators are using these systems for their long term energy storage, then surely I can do the same for my home. And so he acquired some of the prototypes, and um, Jan being a extremely clever and and gifted engineer, designed the whole microgrid for the Pisua house with the energy home, the guest houses, the main house and the supportive buildings, and designed this microgrid with hydrogen at the heart, um, being this long-term energy storage solution. So looked into what would be the energy demand, what would be the energy production, and um, really deployed this solar hydrogen microgrid Um, solution. And I was fortunate enough to have just finished my business degree and moved to Chiang Mai at the time and read about it and was immediately hooked because I'd never heard about green hydrogen before. I had started a lot of environmental initiatives and I was always involved, spent all my free time in nature, Um, knew about solar, knew about wind, but never about green hydrogen. And here I was uh, in Chiang Mai where one of the most technological and like most cutting edge homes and and places were just here, just a ten minute scooter right away. So I came with my uh, millions of questions and uh, yes, lots of uh, curiosity to better understand what is this really about and what is your vision? because with such a big idea comes such great potential impact, and we 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 really bonded over this impact that green hydrogen can play not only in chiang mai not only in thailand but in the world and so sebastian Yen and i started by organizing events at the peace House to invite the different circles, the academia, the political circle, those that were in business, the energy players, sustainably circle, really just bring anyone who should know about green hydrogen to the Pizua house to see this is how it works. You use solar electricity, you power the system, the system splits the water into hydrogen and oxygen, and this green hydrogen is stored and stores that solar energy and then can be used during the night or when it is raining. And over two years, um, we were spreading the message uh, far and, and wide, and um, then had the chance to build an um by actually Sebastian acquiring this Italian company that he had met back in 2014. And uh, in 2017 is when an was born with a very clear mission to make green hydrogen a commodity and to drive down the cost of green hydrogen to be cost competitive with fossil fuel. Thanks to the unique technology that had been developed, and that is uh, our core technology, the AEM um, electrolysis technology that enables low-cost green hydrogen production.
0: What a story. And actually, I'd love to focus in on the people. So obviously what we do is, is connecting those people that all have or want to live a life of purpose with each other. Um, and I'm always a bit fascinated by the story of how it how it all began. And I also have two co-founders, so it's always an interesting dynamic as a trio. Um, so how did that work? And was there a moment you thought, yeah, I'm in, or did you just meet them and then all of a sudden you were on the roller coaster and never looked back?
1: Hmm, great question. Um... So I met Sebastian first, and I I met Jan three months later, or yeah, two two months in, and um, I think Sebastian and I are, are both um, dreamers to a certain extent, and uh, we we both really have these 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 big ideas that sometimes have no head, no tail, but this um, sense of purpose and and this this vision that. Somehow we'll make it possible and we'll make it work, you know. And and I think this this really this like creative impulse to just try it out because someone has to do it and we're going to give it a shot. And and you know this this no fear of failure. This let's just take risks. So um, we I think we, we really um, yeah got along very very well. Um, and uh, and then meeting Jan was also this breath of fresh air because he is very um, grounded and very very logical and rational and um, could always make sure that the the wild ideas that came from sebastian um uh, could also be realized and um i think that the three of us really came together with one having those big visions being sebastian one having those incredible engineering and and also business mindset um and then myself coming in more from uh let's say the the communication and the 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 enthusiasm and and just rounding it all up so that the three of us really um yeah have all the chances also to succeed with the general I mean it's
0: a I think it's a great number personally I know there's always pros and cons of three but um I I guess we're in a similar situation with all having our different skills, but also you need the anchor. I'm not the anchor, but you need the, you need the anchor to bring everybody back down to earth sometimes. And and speaking of anchors, um, actually I don't. Yeah, kind of links, kind of doesn't. Um, brings me back to one of the things I think I'd heard you talk about um, when I saw you speaking at an event was the the inspiration for that clean energy on islands and places that are beautiful. And I think having lived on an island in Thailand for two years, and I worked as a scuba diving instructor. I don't think we haven't talked about that before. Um, But every day I got on a long tail boat. And it's that moment that the island's so perfect, the sea looks so pristine. You should just be able to hear either nothing or some wildlife or people laughing or whatever it might be. And actually, you hear the generators of a construction site, because construction is everywhere in Thailand. You see, smell, hear the fumes coming out of the, the long tail boats. Um, so I know that kind of takes you all the way back to being a child on the islands. But tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the the picture that you've just described is is also so familiar. As when I was living in Thailand and went uh, to the islands there, it was just this omnipresent um, uh, sound and 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 smell uh, of of either diesel generators running or those longtail boats um, puffing that smoke. So, yeah, I I think this is a, a very vivid memory for anyone who, who who goes to to Thailand and visits um, the islands, and um, and and I think this is applicable for, for many of the remote areas, um, today where it's been the cheapest form of having backup energy. Um, we, there was no, uh, yeah, need and curiosity and it was just this convenient option. Um, and only recently we are really realizing that, hmm, yeah, that is actually not the, the sustainable solution. Um, I'm, coming from the islands in the South Pacific, um, it's a French island called New Caledonia next to Australia and, and New Zealand. And it's, it is making significant, um, progress to transition out of, um, yeah, the other depend- depends on, dependence on fossil fuels. Um, and, and we still have some way to go because it is also, um, an island where the main resource is uh, nickel, and so there is a lot of mining activity, and and that is also uh, quite a, a sector that is known for the use of diesel generators. So while I wouldn't say it's it's in our daily lifestyle, it is still present on the island, still clashing with this beautiful natural environment. Um, and and I mean, when you think about it, it makes no sense to import. Fossil fuels. Um, you can make your own fuel on site with with green electricity and water, um, and and you will emit no CO two. So at this point, I think it is really time to to keep the momentum going, and uh, and I hope that I can play a role in in bringing green hydrogen uh, to, to to the islands, to the remote areas, um, but also in, in in our larger energy sector. Amazing.
0: Um, And just there you talked about that, so you have the renewable electricity, the water, the outcome of that is the green green hydrogen, but for those of um, our audience who don't quite know how that happens, can you explain the electrolyzer and what goes in, what happens in the middle, what comes out?
1: Sure. Yeah, happy to, to explain it in a, in a, in a simple way. Um, and, and, and maybe some of us might also remember this experiment that we had in school um, uh, on electrolysis where we had a, um, a cup of water with some salt in it, and then we had a battery, and then we connected the plus and the minus, put it in the water. Um, and then when we saw those wires in the water, there were the two sides, right, that were fizzing. And one side had more bubbles than the other. One being the hydrogen side h2 and then the oxygen side just having less bubbles. And so this is really the the, the essence of, of what you know what water electrolysis is. And so what we want to do and what we are doing is that we are now taking the school class experiment and doing reproducing this at a much larger scale so that you know these bubbles can actually become a fuel that we use in planes. And so what our systems are doing is that um, they are. They look like a microwave today, so they're about the size of a microwave, and inside of this, let's call it the microwave, there is a there is a stack, and this stack is about the size of a, of a rugby ball. And so this is, in the stack is where the, the magic is happening. And so what's going on is that you will have um, electricity coming in, and you will also have water coming in. Those are the two inputs that are required to create green hydrogen. And so then the electricity and the water are going into the stack. And then in the stack, there's this electrochemical reaction that takes place where within our stacks, we have these cells and in the cell, there's a membrane, which is where the separation of the two gases is taking place. So there will be the the water coming in, the electricity coming in, the reaction taking place at the membrane, and then the hydrogen and the oxygen being separated and One goes on one side, the other one goes on the other side. And we make sure that the separation of the two gases is safe because this is one point where danger can happen, but we've now made sure that we know how to safely operate our systems and and, um, ensure that the separation is done in a very safe way and it has been proven. And then the oxygen is released because it is oxygen. And then the hydrogen is stored in a tank or it is used immediately depending on what the use case is. So pretty straightforward, electricity and water in, hydrogen out. And then comes the question, well, do you want to store it in a, in a tank? Do you want to refuel a plane with it? Do you want to burn it to create heat or, to, or do you want to transform it into another fuel? You have a multitude uh, of options of what you can do with green hydrogen, which really makes this a Um, decarbonization molecule amazing
0: explanation (laughs) Uh, one other question just on that I think a lot of people hear hydrogen and then a lot of people hear green hydrogen um, but can you explain to them why green hydrogen really is the only solution and why it's the only guaranteed clean solution for the future or maybe actually, what's the difference between blue, green and gray?
1: Absolutely. Um, so green hydrogen is um, actually not green, right? Hydrogen is a colorless gas. Um, so it is is. Is it is a way to think about um, hydrogen having no negative environmental impact. So I think the key takeaway here when we have these different colors is, is the color, but also what is the carbon footprint? What is the greenhouse gas footprint? footprint for each of these different colors. And green hydrogen emits no CO2, emits no methane. It is made through the use of green electricity, be that wind or solar electricity, and through the use of of water. So you split water into hydrogen and oxygen, that emits no CO2, no methane. It is the only sustainable way forward and the only sustainable color of hydrogen because it is renewable. It has negative emissions. When we look at the other colors of hydrogen, they are not made from solar and wind and water. They are coming from fossil fuels. And I mean, you know, this already is kind of the problem, right? Is that we are still using fossil fuels, and and, and fuels. Um, everyone knows that uh, actually they're even more expensive today, right, than uh, green electricity. So. Just letting, like, not focusing on the cost yet, but just looking into just the essence of what it is. It's relying on fossil fuels, so hmm, okay, that's one point. And uh, so, gray hydrogen is usually made through the process process of steam methane reformation. And what it's doing is that is basically blasting steam to um, to separate um, the hydrogen from the methane, and then they extract the the, the hydrogen, but you can imagine all types of um, uh, of emissions taking place here, methane, CO2, um, and and the whole process of even just like extracting the fossil fuels in the first place. And it's just dirty. <laughs> and blue is this way of making it sound a little better, because in theory, one would capture the CO2 emissions from this process. However, there's a lot of You know, big question marks here being, well, we've been talking, or you've been talking about this for the last 15 years. Hmm, Are any of these plants really running? Is blue hydrogen really a thing? Is this something that some industries are hiding behind? Um, So basically, it's pretty clear, right? Blue and gray depend on fossil fuels, green doesn't. Which direction do we want to go into? It's pretty obvious to repair our planet, we need to use renewables.
0: Exactly. And a lot of the other things that are sort of dependent on this need that supply of green hydrogen. Um, A lot of the fuel cell companies out there, one of their main limiting factors is just a lack of supply of green hydrogen. And I think um, somebody explained your model or I think actually I listened to you explain your model before about the kind of PC versus supercomputer. And you know, electrolyzers aren't new. It's not something that was created five years ago. They've been around forever. But more often than not, they're gigantic, and they take a really long time to build, and it's hard to move them around. And there's lots of different limiting factors. Whereas, as you said, yours is a microwave, but it's also stackable, so you can, you know, increase the, um, the power, if you will, um, by by stacking them. And as such, it means that there's a a greater increase in supply of green hydrogen and these other kind of methods that we've got for decarbonizing the planet actually become more and more viable Um, so how long is that going to take when are we going to get there
1: yeah, I mean, great, great recap <laughs> on, on on how we are, are scaling up, and 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 we really believe that this is the the quickest way to to drive down the cost of green hydrogen to build electrolyzers as products and not projects because a can be mass produced, it can be scaled up. And um, it is much quicker in terms of, of producing and and installing and, and even in terms of maintenance. Because um, imagine in one of these gigantic systems, if one thing in the gigantic system fails, then the whole thing shuts down. Whereas if you have a lot of modular units, then actually you would just shut down whatever's not working, but the it just produces at a lower quantity. So Lots of advantages, um, especially in terms of speed and cost, because then you also, when you go into mass production, benefit from economies of scale. So that in terms of the timeline, we are confident that within this decade, we reach a price point for green hydrogen to be cost competitive with fossil fuels. Um, and this is really the, the, the thing can stop us at this, at this time. Um, and uh, we, we, we know that we can get there uh, with our AEM electrolyzer technology. Okay, hey, well I can't wait, um,
0: and I think there's a lot of people out there that are sceptical and you're really proving them wrong and showing that it can be done, but also as you mentioned it can be done across so many different industries that you're, you've got a product that can be mass produced but it's industry agnostic, it has so many different use cases, so
1: I know there's, there's been massive kind
0: of product development, can you share with us some of the product development but also some of the use cases that people might not expect that green hydrogen can come into play for?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, from a product development perspective, you know, when we look at the early days of an Apter, now that the product has definitely evolved, it's become more compact, um, uh, better performance, uh, lower in cost, lighter as well. Weight is also quite important terms of installing it, you know, shipping it around to, to, to its final destination. Um, so I think from a cost and performance um, and size perspective, we are uh, on track and uh, we we are still not um, our, our final, let's say, uh, uh, product version is, is, is still on the way. The one that we will mass produce uh, in, in, in large quantities, um, our, our Model T uh, is a uh, is still uh, being worked on and, um, and it's, it's quite exciting because we are, um, yeah, a market leader with our AEM electrolyzer technology, um, uh, and with our kilowatt scale electrolyzer, and we're also developing our megawatt scale electrolyzer. And this is uh, to meet the demand of more industrial projects on larger scale green hydrogen projects and so we are working on our first um, demo systems right now and um we'll have our first commercial deliveries um in the middle of next year in 2023 so we are we are moving quite quickly because we can see that the green hydrogen market is also growing quickly and while our kilowatt scale electrolyzer is agnostic to any sector and any project, um, we are also making our moves towards the much larger applications, um, which I'd be happy to, to tell you more about. So um, when we are looking into the, the the larger applications for for green hydrogen, there will be um, yeah demand in terms of grid balancing, right? Because with more renewable electricity being installed, the the our our current existing grid also needs to be able to to take in that uh, green electricity. And so instead of wasting it, we need to be able to plug in those electrolyzers so that they're generating green hydrogen on site that then can be used either for storage or for other usage. Um, so I think that'll be a really interesting use case um, that we're already having conversations on um, with different uh, potential customers. So that's one area of application. Um, and then also the the uh, those industrial applications, right? When we look into making steel, making cement, glass, um, these are sectors and these are just industries that are hard to decarbonize and cannot be electrified. And so we need to look for this alternative fuel, this alternative molecule, which is green hydrogen, which is made from the sun. So essentially we're transforming this green electricity, these green electrons into a green molecule. That can effectively replace our fossil fuels in those industries, um, so it's a, it, it, we can see the, the the really large scale impact of replacing fossil fuels in those industrial sectors, and we can already see the um, the, the current impact of our of our electrolyzers being used to refuel airplanes, for example. So on site at the airport, our electrolyzers are producing green hydrogen, which are then being used to refuel the airplanes that when they're flying, emit no CO2. And, um, the mobility sector is, is, has a lot of use cases for green hydrogen, whether it is for trains or um, in planes. Um, container ships will also be a, a use case for green hydrogen. And um, it's, it's actually going to be using uh, derived hydrogen fuel. So it's um, not hydrogen per se, but it is uh, green ammonia is made from green hydrogen. And um, uh, that is another use case, right, for for green hydrogen. So we're tapping into the industrial sector, the mobility sector, um, and then, of course, the power sector, right? The power sector is also huge, um, whether, as we said in the beginning, in terms of balancing the grid or for powering remote locations, like we mentioned earlier in our conversation, and just having this seasonal storage. Because when we want to store um, months worth of energy without it ever going away, then green hydrogen is the ultimate solution because you can create the green hydrogen, store it, come back in 20 months. It'll still be that same amount of green hydrogen. It's not going to disappear or expire. You can come back and it'll be there waiting for you. Um, so, so really, uh, um, an abundance of, um, choices of what we can use green hydrogen for um, and where we can really start to replace fossil fuels and and where can we really have that massive impact from an industrial level to an individual level.
0: And actually that leads us on to the prize that we talked about. And I think perfectly explains why you won it. Um, And I'm gonna let you tell the story yourself because no one should ever steal that from you. Um, but I think what you were talking about then about how there's so many use cases rather than a lot of solutions that people have come up with that fix one small problem. This actually has the capability to fix huge problems that we have across so many different industries and so many different use cases, um, which obviously led to to you receiving an amazing price. So tell us, tell us about it and don't hold back.
1: No, I, I won't. And, and, and just to make the suspense last a little longer, um, I, I think it's also important to, 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 to mention that um, I am a full believer in green hydrogen, but I'm also grounded in, in, in the reality that it is not the silver bullet solution. That in order to repair our planet, it will be a, a diversity of solutions that already exist today um, uh, that will really support us in transitioning away from from fossil fuels um, and and also to just make certain. Uh, practices more efficient or enabling people to to switch to m- more sustainable practices and behaviors and so you know it's really like the like our our, our own diet right we need um, a healthy and diverse um, uh, nutrition and it's a similar idea here it will be a, um, a diverse collection of solutions that will help us recover planet and so to, to talk about the prize uh we were the inaugural winner of uh the earth shop prize which is a, a prize that was launched uh last year by uh the royal foundation and we had the the chance to 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 be yeah, named um winner by by emma watson uh shortly after um the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge had made their appearance and it was such a, a beautiful opportunity to bring green hydrogen um, to such a, a, a big stage to not only recognize the potential for green hydrogen to replace fossil fuels, but also to recognize the potential of an napter to be this solution that is um, worth scaling and worth noticing. So it's um, it's been quite a journey from first uh, being nominated and going through the uh, different selection rounds where we really presented how our solution um, has a great impact in reducing the greenhouse gases emissions and replacing fossil fuels, but also how it is extremely scalable, um, and uh, and how we have the 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 right team and, and the right um, yeah approach to making green hydrogen a a commodity. Um, so yes, it was in uh, October twenty twenty one we 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 learned that we were the winners, and it's been such a, a A fantastic experience to meet the other finalists as well. Uh, The First Shot Prize is really about uh, not just fixing our climate, which is our category, um, but is also about um, cleaning our air and protecting our environment, um, as well as uh, building a waste-free world and protecting our oceans. So it's really tackling those big themes that we have... Yeah, that we we've not been, let's say, uh, quick enough <laughs> in, um, in in really uh, in in having change and and solutions and shedding light on those solutions because I think. Um, what the Earthshot Prize has done is, is shed light on solutions and entrepreneurs and showing what are people doing and, and what are those solutions out there because we can do this, right? It, it is not a moonshot. It is an earth shot. We have the ambition and we have the solutions to repair our planet and we must come together to do this because it will only be through international collaboration and cooperation that we can um, yeah, tackle this this this. this Big challenge, and it's the greatest opportunity we've ever had, right? Um, so uh, we had the chance to 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 meet each other uh, at uh, COP26 uh, in November last year, and also had the chance to 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 meet the Duke and Duchess themselves, and also the um, uh, Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornwall. So those were pretty uh, uh, unreal moments. Uh, to have the chance to to meet such individuals who were personally very invested and very curious in in learning more about us and learning more about our solutions, wanting to know how can they support us even more, and then having the chance to to be introduced to uh, the Global Alliance and their founding members, um, having the chance to to, to tell Michael Bloomberg about our technology, meeting Bill Gates and telling him about our approach to scaling green hydrogen, um, meeting several heads of states as well in, uh, at COP26. So it was um, a lot of exposure and a lot of support. And since we've won the Earthshot Prize, we've continued to receive support uh, to scale our AEM electrolyzer. I mean, it must
0: have been incredible And in one of those moments that you're not quite sure it's real till it's finished.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's you, you, you wake up and pinch yourself asking yourself if you're still dreaming. <laughs>
0: oh, fact, that was my next question. Any other pinch me moments? So you stole it from me. <laughs> that must be the one. But, but anything else along the way that you've thought, wow, we, we are really turning a corner and people are recognizing what we're doing?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the morning after meeting um, Prince William and before meeting Bill Gates um, I received yeah, right
0: <laughs> even that you could probably just stop there was fine
1: <laughs> and so we're just gonna sprinkle a little like a plus one in there um I received an email inviting me to to give a, a TED talk on green hydrogen on their global stage in Vancouver so that was a pinch me moment because it was Did I just meet the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and am I now just being invited to give a TED talk on green hydrogen? This is wild. And I'm so thankful that we have this team that is really this 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 firepower uh, behind behind an after. And that is, you know, making all of these accomplishments and technological advancements possible.
0: I mean, that's super exciting. And actually, I'm not going to lie, I have seen that that's coming out very soon. And actually, it comes out before this episode of the podcast, Will. So for our audience, it is the last day of August, but you'll be, be listening to this in a couple of months' time. So. I wish you every, uh, well, all the best with the launch of the TED Talk. I'm sure it's going to be incredible. I'm excited. Thanks. <laughs> um, so moving on to kind of you and where that sits with you and your career, one of the statements that I read about Enapta, which I'm sure is, is certainly something that you've been at the heart of, was act with urgency, opt for simplicity and insist on transparency. I mean, wouldn't that be great if that was just how the world operated? Um, But has that been really hard to stick to?
1: Yeah, I mean, so those are our principles, Um, urgency, simplicity and transparency. And they are extremely helpful in in times of decisions and tough decisions to fall back on them, to catch ourselves being like, oh, are we making things too complicated? Yeah, probably. Let's make it simple. But they are hard to adopt on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think there's always this awareness of urgency versus importancy or urgent and important. Um, I think this is, you know, keeping that in mind and just being like, okay, it's urgent, but this is important. So how do you prioritize it? So I think that's something that we need to be mindful about. Um, and I think the transparency bit is also something that we try to do as much as we can. Um, but there are also some things that cannot be as transparent as we want them to be. Um, they cannot be as simple as we want them to be, and they're not going as fast as we want them to be. But uh, I, I think it does give us this this northern star in, in how we operate on a day-to-day basis, especially with a team size uh, that has grown from 11 to 250 Unfortunately, we cannot talk to everyone every day and and try to infuse certain practices. And so those have been principles that have really helped us to row in the same direction at the same speed to our best, uh, yeah, uh, trying our best. (laughs) No,
0: I I like that. And I think with anything, with principles, with values, you know, as long as it remains there, there's always going to be a deviation. And the, well... I was going to say the bigger you grow, but also the quicker you grow, the harder it is to keep everybody doing that, of rowing in the same direction and continuously seeing that end goal and the mission and the purpose of why you're there. But it sounds like those principles kind of keep that flowing and you hope it's kind of top down, but also bottom up with, with everyone feeling like they're part of the same same mission.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, when, 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 when we look at each other and at an aperture, um, I think we have over 18 different nationalities. Um, you know, the, the age range is from 18 to, I think, 75. And uh, we have that common denominator, right? We are making a positive impact. We want to make a positive impact. We are driven to replace fossil fuels and nothing will stop us. Um, and then, there's a million of other, other differences, but that is the one thing that really ties us together and, and keeps us going um, because there is, uh, there's a lot to do, but uh, we, we still wake up every day with that same burning desire.
0: And I'm actually planning another series of the podcast about why diverse teams are more powerful. So that's a whole other episode and maybe you can come back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Diversity is, is super important, you know, um, like, I mean, in terms of creativity and just cognitive diversity is, is huge as well.
0: Could not agree more. Yeah, it will be coming soon. And it's one that we always end up touching on in other episodes. But um, I think it warrants its own season. So when the time is right, I'll be coming back to you. And actually focusing now on you, and I think one of the things we like to do in this podcast is to talk about the person themselves and not just the company behind the person or the mission. So like what motivates you? What keeps you on track when things get tough?
1: I guess what motivates me really is, yeah, this 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 impact that we can have. Um, and And the agency that I know we have by developing a solution that can replace fossil fuels. And when it gets tough, I lean into the team because we are, you know, all working towards that same mission. And it's not just tough for me, right? So, you know, by by sharing those those tough times and 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 ordering some some cake or some ice cream, you know, then it kind of helps. And and if it's going to be a late one in the office, you know, just being there and just listening to each other and then and then just like leaning in, I think this is something that that has helped me a lot. Um, on a, on a team level. And then I think also just surrounding myself with other ambitious entrepreneurs, other that are also working on, um, on solving climate change. So um, I think community is super important. Um, so is self-care.
0: I agree on both. And I think just touching on the community point, it's something that we love. Um, and actually my background, I've, I've been in recruitment and search for over a decade um, and was new to the clean tech space when we founded Brightsmith, and we're we're still young, um, not physically ourselves, but the business is still young. And the the most overwhelming thing for me was the sense of community when I joined the sector. Um, and I'm someone that says it how it is, and I'm not afraid to kind of show vulnerability. So actually, the first thing I did in the space was to connect with people and explain I didn't know enough and that I wanted to learn more. And I love learning, and the kind of geek in me really grasped that and decided I was gonna go all out. Now, I can't know the intricacies of every single little bit, but that was the aim. And the response I got was so phenomenal. And people who, you know, they founded these incredible companies. They're responsible for thousands of people working underneath them. They're, you know, solving major, major climate crisis problems. And they still had time to spend an hour with me telling me about what they do, why they do it, how it works, and, and really just giving with no kind of expectation of anything back. And I've never seen any kind of industry working this way before. And I think that mission behind it and everyone understanding that they need to be connected and you touched on it, there is no silver bullet. I can't agree more. And when you see these squabbles of battery versus hydrogen and this versus that, like we need them all. And everything that isn't a fossil fuel is taking us a step in the right direction. But you touched on community there, and I just wanted to kind of elaborate on how you go about kind of nurturing that community and and also how welcoming it's been.
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I- you know, I think this is, at the end of the day, what really brings us together, um, especially in the hydrogen space. It's still a relatively young industry, and um, we have these, these fairs where we all come together. And, of course, of course you know, we, we, we're we competitors. We're building electrolytes, and we're not the only ones out there. But at the end of the day, we are all going and, and striving for the same thing, right? We are all working towards making green hydrogen affordable, um, and and I think this is something that we we all hold dear in our heart. And I think as an industry, in the renewables industry, we are um, are, are passionate about about the environment and, and about, uh, our role in, in in helping preserve our our planet in a healthy state for the future generations. And it does bring me hope uh, that we are you know, a collection of individuals with with the the with the right set of values and, and also a moral compass to get us there because I think there are some other industries out there that are um, you know, really only focusing on the bottom line and and, and only looking at that and, and not really thinking about um, what what it costs others, actually how unfair it can be and how others are suffering at their own expense. And, and it's only creating more, um, uh, uh um, disadvantages and, and greater inequalities. And, and we can't just close our eyes to this. This is just, it's not possible. And it's, it's, it's not fair. And I, I do think that, you know, as a community, we can have uh, a greater impact and we can make waves and we can also influence others. And, um, and, and really try to steer our society into the right direction, one that is really grounded in the right values.
0: Yeah, and I think when we get old and we look back at what we've done, it's not going to be the extra money that you earn. It's going to be the way you made a difference and where you can see that impact not just in your own life but for those of future generations and basically not stealing from them but trying to give back to them and trying to make things so that generations and generations after that still have an amazing planet to live
1: on. Absolutely. And even today's generations, right? I mean, when we're looking at the climate disasters that are looking today, they're happening in the global south. They're happening in places where, um, you know, people in the West might be so far away that they can even avoid it on the news. And Fortunately, the ones who did the least are suffering the most, and no one is paying for those climate disasters. So, um, I think it's for sure the future generations because they are making themselves heard. But it is also all of those unheard voices today that are suffering, who might just currently be in a climate emergency uh, and and are not being you know supported, and funds are not being allocated there from the ones who are creating their despair.
0: Yeah and I think that has to be at the forefront of more industries Um, and again I don't want to diverge too far and and end up on a totally different tangent but I think you're right you know those people who are doing a great thing need to stick together and and make their voices louder by being a collection of voices Um, but also it would be great to see some of those industries that are all about the bottom line not just having a set of goals that they kind of have on their website to make themselves feel better but really starting to live by by their missions that they're setting out
1: absolutely i mean it's just we cannot just we cannot keep getting these statements of oh we're investing this amount it's like okay well have you compared how much you invested on other activities let's be real so um so yeah i think um, we have the technologies available today and we can transition away from fossil fuels um we do need to invest <laughs> the capital in the right places, and also start to um, uh, allocate resources and and, and 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 yeah, really invest in repairing the homes of people that are already suffering today. And
0: I have two more questions because I'm very conscious of time, and it's going to be a long episode. But everything you've had to say has been exciting and led me somewhere else. Um, but if you were to give your teenage self some advice, um, and obviously you were someone that already had kind of goals and ambitions of solving things, but is there anything, if you could go back and let yourself know something, any advice that you would share?
1: Um, sure, I, I think what I've learned over the years now, um, so I mean, I started an after I was 23 Um, I still am learning a lot every day um, and continuously, yeah, getting better, (laughs) I hope. Um, But I I wish if it was to be to my teenage self, um, I think I, I would have just told myself that, yeah, actually, there is no limit to what I can do. And I would have just only encouraged myself to, to 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 keep going and to not stop trying to involve others to, um, either join me or, or to join others, but to really get involved and to, to 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 start those conversations and to to come together and and start having that impact on a on a small scale because it's like a big snowball, right? It can then become an even greater one. And then, you know, it's not just me, it's not just my class, it's not my school, it's my whole community. And so I think, um, you know, I would have really just encouraged myself to keep dreaming bigger and, and just to know no limits because no voice is too small and, and, and no idea is too small. And when you come and work together and, and really shape out that idea, um, you can inspire so many people along the way and have a great impact
0: amazing and my very final question is looking to the future so for you for enactor um, what I, I and i'm not asking in 15 years time i'm very aware the future is near um, but what does the future look like for you in the next couple of
1: years sure um yeah. So the next couple of years, we will have deployed our megawatt solutions, and we will be, um, yeah, at at a, at a completely different stage. Um, we will have uh, our enaptor campus where we will be mass producing our electrolyzers, and uh, we will be at a we will be a, a scale up. And we are building this enaptor campus as a blueprint for more. AEM electrolyzer mass production sites to be in the world because we know that one and after campus will not be enough for all the green hydrogen that we need in the world. And so I think it will be extremely exciting to see, well, what are all the learnings that we've already made from this first mass production site that is fully powered by green local energy. So it's really building a green product from green energy. So no environmental trade-off and really seeing um, the, the, the the massive impact that we can have to replace fossil fuels and and to ultimately yeah live in a in a world that is more quiet and and where the air is is, is better and um, yeah pure and um, where we 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 are also much more conscious of the choices we make every day and 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 have a lifestyle that is compatible with the current state of the climate. What perfect
0: ending. So that brings us to a close. That was amazing. Um, I think for our listeners, it's a real insight into that world, into you, into Inapta, and also where we're going. And I by no means know it's not easy, but it is possible. And I think that's a real pivotal moment for us where people can start to really see that change is coming.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having us.
0: Thank you for coming on. And I, I look forward to our future meeting for... Of diverse teams. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech brought to you by Brightsmith. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on how Brightsmith can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, please head over to brightsmithgroup.com. Join us next time for more conversations in clean tech.